In today's episode, miraculous virgin births in California condors, the success of the HPV vaccine, and Microsoft eyes up the metaverse. But first, it was this day in 1908 that Professor Ernest Rutherford announced in London that he had isolated a single atom of matter. He found that the atom is mostly empty space, with nearly all of its mass concentrated in a tiny central nucleus, changing the study of physics forever. Conservation scientists at San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance have found that critically endangered California condors can reproduce without mating. During a routine analysis of biological samples from two California condors in the zoo's managed breeding program, the scientists found that two of the chicks had hatched from unfertilized eggs. If this sounds somewhat familiar, it's what happened with the dinosaurs from Jurassic Park. And well, as Jeff Goldblum puts it... I'm simply saying that life... uh finds a way. The California condor is one of the world's rarest birds and almost went extinct 30 years ago, but the population is rising. Cynthia Steiner is co-author of the study and said that each of the condor chicks was genetically related to its mother, but neither bird was genetically related to a male. It came as a big surprise, to be honest, so we didn't expect to find any of this. It was about uh, validating these results because when we found this it was more for us something that it was related with maybe errors in the way we were genotyping not getting the genetic information from these condors it was about you know redoing a lot of the genetic uh, testing just to make sure that it was it was it wasn't really an error and it was more about understanding the biology of birds in general so and at that point we realized that this might be a possibility as as well as well in the reproduction of birds so we put all these pieces together plus the information that that we got, as I said, from all this genetic data that we have from 30 past years of uh, collecting uh, genetic information from California condors, we put the pieces together and we, it was like an eureka moment. Okay, so this is really happening. This process called parthenogenesis is known in other species like reptiles and fish, but in birds it's very rare, in particular in wild species. The development is also unique because there were fertile males present, but the asexual reproduction happened anyway. Knowing that this is not like a, a random individual we found, this is two individuals from two separate families so uh, that were able to uh, be generated using proteinogenesis, we might think that this is not as uncommon as we, we, we thought before. Astronomers have found hints of what could be the first planet ever to be discovered outside of our galaxy. Nearly 5,000 exoplanets, or a planet orbiting around another star, have been found so far, but all in the Milky Way galaxy, within a few thousand light years of Earth. This one was found in a galaxy called Messier, located some 28 million light years away from the Milky Way. Needless to say, that's pretty far away. The Saturn-sized planet was discovered by NASA's Chandra X-ray Telescope and a team led by Dr. There are a number of special things about it, but I would say probably the most important uh, to me is that it is in another galaxy. So it has extended the reach of our searches for planets by a factor of more than a thousand. Dr. Brad Tucker, an astrophysicist from the Australian National University, spoke to Sky News about the discovery, and as he puts it... It's important just to know that now other galaxies potentially have them, because the question's always been, is our galaxy unique? 
or do all these galaxies have planets and then that number becomes so much higher you know trillions and trillions of planets that that question of is there life or other earths obviously becomes an important one and a bigger number now to think about Speaking with Euronews, Dr. Rassan explained why these planets are so special. This planet candidate is unique because among the ones we know because it orbits an X-ray binary. An X-ray binary is a system of two stars that emits X-ray wavelengths. It turns out that the region emitting X-rays is very small, planet size. So we realized in 2018 in a paper that Nia Amara led and, and uh, I co-authored, that this small region would be totally eclipsed by the passage of a planet. Using the technique, the researchers are hoping to discover even more secrets of the universe. It can be used in other external galaxies, and it can even be used in our own galaxy, where we can now, with this method, find planets that orbit more massive stars than we have able to do so far. According to a new study, the human papillomavirus or HPV vaccine is cutting cases of cervical cancer by nearly 90%. Nearly all cervical cancers are caused by viruses and the hope is vaccination could almost eliminate the disease. Kate Sangner from Joe's Cervical Cancer Trust talked to BBC Breakfast about the study. This study is just amazing. It's the first time we've got real-world proof, really solid evidence of the impact of the vaccine in reducing cases of cervical cancer. We've never had that really clear link shown, demonstrated before. So hopefully what this is going to show is for teenagers, parents, people who are unsure about the vaccine might have questions that vaccines really do work, that the HPV vaccination can stop cervical cancer from developing in lots and lots of cases. And it's going to save lives. And that's just such an exciting thing. The researchers have said the success means that those who are vaccinated may need far fewer cervical smear tests too. Karis Betts from Cancer Research UK shared how the success could lead to screening changes. So cervical screening still remains important. Um, as the vaccine um, gets taken up more and more people are vaccinated, we might see changes to what the screening programme looks like. So that might be how often you go in or what the test looks like. But for now, it's still really important that if you're invited to cervical screening, to consider going. Cervical cancer is the fourth most common cancer in women around the world, killing more than 300,000 each year. Nine in ten of these deaths are in low- and middle-income countries where there is little access to cervical cancer screening. The hope is that vaccination will have an even bigger impact in those countries. As world leaders gather in Glasgow for the COP26 climate change conference, research is showing that an Arctic feedback loop could catapult the world into a climate disaster. What happens in the Arctic doesn't really stay in the Arctic. It does impact the rest of us. And I think that's a lot of what scientists are trying to do is just better unravel all of these teleconnections between various components in our climate system. That's Dr. Julianne Strove, an Arctic ice expert and a senior research scientist at the National Snow and Ice Data Centre, speaking with now We've Misser. always known that if we started seeing warming happening in the Arctic, you could generate this positive feedback loop whereby warmer temperatures will melt more snow and more ice, which then allows the water underneath the ice, for example, in the ocean or underneath the land, that is a lower reflectivity, so it actually absorbs more of the sun's energy 
and then that can then melt more snow and ice and you get this positive feedback loop. And it's also one of the reasons why the Arctic is warming three times faster than the rest of the planet at the moment. And it's not just melting snow and ice we need to worry about. Melting permafrost causes another type of feedback loop. We know that the frozen ground contains at least twice as much carbon than what's in the atmosphere today. And so by warming up the Arctic, you start thawing also the frozen ground areas. And as that ground thaws, there's all these little microbes that start to become active and they start to release carbon as well. And so there's another sort of amplifying feedback that if you start releasing more carbon that's been trapped and stored in the frozen ground, you're going to also amplify the warming and then, of course, thaw more permafrost. It's a vicious cycle and Dr. Strove says these feedback loops have an effect on the whole planet. It's going to cause the planet to warm faster by losing the snow and ice. So that's, of course, one consequence. The second consequence, of course, is that you have massive ice sheet in the Arctic. You got the Greenland ice sheet. And if you were to melt the entire ice sheet. That contains about seven meters of global sea level rise. Another impact, of course, is that the temperature difference between the equator and the poles drives a lot of our large-scale atmospheric weather and ocean circulation patterns. So the strength of the difference between, you know, if you have a really cold Arctic and a warm equator, you get this, you know, pretty strong jet stream, for example, that brings the weather around the planet. You can't say that one in particular event is a direct result of the loss of Arctic sea ice, for example, but they are connected. And I think that, you know, it's, it's, it's challenging for people at lower latitudes to fully appreciate these connections. And I think part of it has also been maybe the way media reports on extremes, because extremes get a lot of attention. I think it's really the long-term trends that people should be concerned about. At the moment, we have about 40-some years of satellite observation, so we usually talk about that as our climate record, and that's definitely showing statistically significant trends in many different variables, depending on what you want to look at. If you want to look at air temperature, or you want to look at Greenland melting, or you want to look at sea ice loss, those trends are, are real. So to come on the Smart 7 Sunday Ireland edition, the World Health Organization sends Europe a COVID warning and Microsoft enters the metaverse. Right after this. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to The Sunday 7. Follow us for your weekday news espresso, or even try our island edition. It's in all the usual places. Three. 
With their vibrant yellow cups and petals, daffodils have long been considered one of the first signs of spring. But they're more than just a group of pretty flowering plants. They actually have super healing properties. Here's Natural History Museum botanist Dr. Mark Carney explaining how daffodils are being used to help Alzheimer's disease patients and why we need more of them. Alzheimer's is a disease where the brain gradually breaks down, causing various cognitive and behavioural problems, even death. One of the drugs that's helpful in relieving the symptoms is called galanthamine. In the right dosage, it can help offset some of the changes Alzheimer's causes in the brain. Galanthamine is named after Galanthus, the Latin name for snowdrops, because that's where it was first discovered. But galanthamine is also found in relatives of the snowdrops, such as the daffodils. In the UK, daffodils can grow in mountainous places, including the Black Mountains in Wales. Evidence suggests that growing them at altitude might make the plants produce more galanthamine, which means more medicine available for patients. Today, every single country in Europe and Central Asia is facing a real threat of COVID-19 resurgence or already fighting it. The World Health Organization has warned that Europe is once again at the center of the COVID pandemic. Dr. Hans Kluge, who's who's Europe director, spoke on Thursday. COVID-19 cases are once again approaching record levels, with the more transmissible Delta variant continuing to dominate transmission across Europe and Central Asia. We are at another critical point of pandemic resurgence. Europe is back at the epicenter of the pandemic, where we were one year ago. The difference today is that we know more and we can do more. We have more tools and means to mitigate and reduce the damage to our communities and society. Dr. Mike Ryan, who executive director, also commented on the availability of COVID fighting resources in Europe. Europe does have the capacity and European countries have the capacity. Uh, they have the va uh, vaccine access. They have the money. They have the, the systems in place that they can react. Many other regions don't necessarily have those capacities in place. So um, I think it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a warning shot for the world to see what's happening in Europe despite the availability of, 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 of vaccination. According to one reliable projection, if we stay on this trajectory, we could see another half a million COVID-19 deaths in Europe and Central Asia by the 1st of February next year. So why has Europe and Central Asia been experiencing soaring cases for four consecutive weeks? There are two reasons. First, insufficient vaccination coverage. And second, the relaxation of public health and social measures. The current situation and alarming short-term projections should trigger us to act. Ultimately, we are only getting out of this pandemic if politicians, scientists and the public work together. Last week, we were talking about Facebook's big rebrand to Meta, and just days later, Microsoft announced that they too would be entering the Metaverse race with 3D avatars and immersive meetings. At Microsoft's annual gathering of technology leaders, CEO Satya Nadella explained the company's virtual world plans and how teams will play an integral role. The Metaverse enables us to embed 
computing into the real world and to embed the real world into computing, bringing real presence to any digital space. For years, we've talked about creating this digital representation of the world, but now we actually have the opportunity to go into that world and participate in it. What's most important is that we are able to bring our humanity with us and choose how we want to experience this world and who we want to interact with. Microsoft is bringing Mesh, a collaborative platform for virtual experiences, directly into Microsoft Teams next year. It's part of a big effort to combine the company's mixed reality and HoloLens work with meetings and video calls that anyone can participate in thanks to animated avatars. Despite the hype around the metaverse, Microsoft President Brad Smith is taking a careful and measured approach to the new technology and shared his thoughts with Reuters. The cloud is ubiquitous. I don't know whether the metaverse will be equally ubiquitous, but at this point, I think what really matters is that we focus on making it useful and helpful for people in their lives. The one thing we cannot do is just move forward to the metaverse without cleaning up the problems that exist on the internet today and without learning the lessons from that work to build a metaverse that you know, is safer, more secure, more private, more respectful even of humanity's needs. I think right now we're all talking about the metaverse as if we're entering some new dimension. This is not like dying and going to heaven. We're all gonna be living in the real world with people. I think it's important that we, I think, use the hype to build enthusiasm where enthusiasm is appropriate, but we not let the hype obscure that these are all parts of long-term technology trends. What you're going to see is, you know, there's. The, there's Facebook's version of the metaverse. There's Microsoft's version of the metaverse. There will be Apple's version of the metaverse. There will be Google's version of the metaverse. You know, everyone is going to be entering this. This has been the Sunday 7. However you're listening, do us a favor and hit the follow button. We'll be back tomorrow at 7 a.m. with a regular Smart 7 Ireland edition. Have a great rest of the weekend. Written, produced and published by Daft Doris. Hi, this is Kira from the Smart 7 Ireland edition. Just to let you know, we're pausing this podcast from Friday the 25th of August, but you can still get up to speed in just seven minutes if you search the Smart 7 and catch up with our UK edition. Thanks for listening.